Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today, Swim Swam co-founder, Olympic gold medalist, gold medal Mel Stewart, and joining us today, two-time Olympic medalist, uh, world champion, world short course champion, Pan Pacific champion, Pan American champion, uh, and head coach, University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, Mark Gangloff. Mark, how's it going, man? Uh, you know, things are good. We are all uh, kind of trying to manage uh, being in, in the corona world and uh, uh, do our best with what we got. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm so grateful to be here with you guys. You know, I think that you guys are awesome. So, yeah, I'm excited. At the start of this, I told everybody that I was going to stay in the background just because I wanted to check in with, with Mark because I, I love Mark. I love his wife. And uh, I, I, but I, you know what? Just hearing the, at the outset, it's like there's so many elite athletes who, who move into coaching and let's, for being honest, they're not the most successful. Uh, that doesn't always mean you're going to be a successful coach. And uh, your trajectory has been pretty impressive, buddy. So you've got you've got the elite background and all the Olympic medals, and you've and you've 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 ascended to the position that you that you have, justly so, and it's it's really cool to see, but it's a um that's that is sort of a weird thing. I don't know if you agree with my theory or my my assessment of history and our our former elites, but do you think that you know do you think that's the case? And and, and if it is, you know, what's made you different as a coach? That's a great question. And, you know, I think that um, kind of as an athlete, you draw on a lot of different, or I should say as a coach now, I draw on a lot of different experiences I had as an athlete. And there is an elite component to my career, which is the international stuff. But I think where I'm at right now is I'm tapping so much into my collegiate experience with David Marsh I'm, I, I'm tapping into what we learned to on those teams and the culture that was created there. Uh, you know, in many ways, I'm trying to recreate it here. I'm trying to tap into what we were doing at Missouri in terms of building up the program from that. And, and so I think that, um, and, and then also, you know, now that I'm coaching uh, a person like Michael Chadwick here, I'm, I'm tapping into my experiences as an international. So I think that um, you just have to kind of pick and choose from which bucket that you're able to, to speak to. Uh, and, you know, working with an 18-year-old uh, freshman is different than working with a 25-year-old professional. And, you know, as a coach, you have to be adaptable and switch your hat at the appropriate moment. So we, we just had Kim Bracken on. <clears throat> um, we've talked to David Marsh several times. We've talked to Durden before, you know. And Kim didn't have time to get into, you know, some really nitty-gritty war stories from Auburn. But, you know, that's one of the greatest – you were part of one of the greatest college dynasties, college swimming dynasties in history. And, uh, and I, and, you know, I grew up uh, – I came up in swimming – hearing about those those stories and hearing about those legendary teams and i would like to hear a few of your a few of your memories you know what made those teams so special what 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 was some of the magic or the secret sauce that that you're applying to your unc team now sure 
Um, well, I think some of the things that, that really made it unique was that everybody, everybody was all in. There was no wavering on whether or not you wanted to be there. And some of that was kind of teased out through tough, hard work, hard workouts. Uh, our, the circuit that we used to do at Auburn was, it was pretty legendary. You know, I, I can remember spending three hours in the weight room and being physically active the, the entire time. And it was a super intense experience. But um, ultimately what the, the, what the circuit did wasn't necessarily about, wasn't about the work as much as it was about bringing us together. And so even though I'm not implementing that type of workout, what I'm attempting to do is trying to bring people together for a, to a common uh, aim or a common goal. And I think that's what makes um, collegiate experience or collegiate athletics so great is you're very easily able to get into that team mentality because everybody's got pride for their school. And people love Carolina. Uh, people love Auburn. People love Missouri. You know, people love their school. And, and, and what I like about being here is that people are, you know, they, they call it the Carolina fevers. People are passionate about this place. Now what I'm trying to do as a coach here is just to uh, further help develop the team to become even more elite than it currently is. So how can we understand how we need to come together better at a championship competition? Uh, how can we set our goals a little bit higher? What does that mean for your performance in practice? Uh, what does that mean for how you even enter into the season? How well prepared are you for the first couple of weeks of practice? Um, so those are the things that I'm working through right now and, and drawing from is, is, is <clears throat> creating this, this, this similar culture uh, through different means, uh, I would say, is, is what uni is unique. But in, in Auburn, we were all in, and that was, that was the deal. And, and there was no wiggle room for anybody that was kind of on the fray or questioning whether or not they wanted to be there. So um, I, I'm, I'm jumping here one more, more time. Sorry, Coleman. I got to say this. Uh, I swam for the Marsh, and when I first started with him, I, I kind of hated him. Uh, never had a coach hold hold me personally accountable for a lot of things outside of the pool, and and I felt like he was. I'm like, well, you know, the, your, your guardrails are inside the the place where it smells like chlorine. Get get out of my life. Uh, and he did things there that I didn't like, changing my strokes. But you know, he I I never. Um, I was, I, was a, I was somebody who would go out and, and drink four nights a week and partied really hard and, and my diet was really bad. And he called me out on every single thing, called me out on character stuff. And, uh, and I think that kind of leadership, you know, looking back on it, it's like, wow, this is incredibly valuable. Um, I know that was your experience at Auburn. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just kind of curious as to how that's, that's bled into um, – you know, what, what was that experience like for you personally? And, and, and how has that, how has that impacted you as a coach? Well, I think that you're right in that there, there is very few things that go unnoticed by David. And, and that's really the key. And whether that's be in the way that you're swimming a lap of breaststroke for me personally, or the way I carried my, my bag onto the pool deck or the way that we got out of the pool, you know, we, we used to get in, we had to get back in if we put our knee on the deck or, or didn't get on, you know, hands and feet or the only thing that can touch the deck. And it was like, those were the little battles that as an athlete, you hated fighting. But, you know, in retrospect, it was, it was 
it was genius. It was the thing that you needed to do because you paid attention to every single thing that you're doing. You couldn't take the elevator unless you were on taper. You had to take the stairs. If you, to, you know, like all these things I can remember. And, and, and so I think that I do believe now as a coach, I have an eye for detail. Um, I kind of teach through progression similar to David does. And I don't try and uh, overcomplicate a stroke or I try and really, you know, focus singularly on one component of the stroke as I'm teaching. Uh, I am trying to implement some similar things from a team dynamic that he did as well. Um, so, but I think that the biggest thing is uh, you have to be mindful of what you're doing all the time and how you're, and it does matter. Every little thing does matter. And if you want to be elite, you'll, you'll pay attention to those things and you'll change uh, whatever you need to in order to be successful. So you, you mentioned the circuit earlier. And I, I've, I, you know, I, I didn't know that was a thing at Auburn. I've heard of it. it I've heard of Durden doing it at Cal. Uh, I think it's like the first six weeks ever of, of the season, every Saturday, he, you know, it's, yeah, it's like you said, it's this excruciating dry land circuit and it's not really about what you're doing. It's about bonding with the team and, and kind of getting, getting, you know, everyone to buy into what you're doing. Um, would you mind going into a little more detail about how Marsh introduced or how you were introduced to the circuit at Auburn and, and what it looked like again? I, I think it's like the first six weeks at Cal. Um, you know, what was it for you guys? Sure. So, um, well, you know, kind of another, you know, another way David, you know, is kind of a genius is in the way that he runs the program and, and he kind of gave all of the dry land, all of the weightlifting, and all of the circuit to uh, Brian Karkoska. Uh, his name was PK, and he's our strength coach. And he was as strong of a coach as, as any of the other coaches on staff. Like, we, we trusted him with everything. And, you know, he's a really good friend of mine now. Um, but he would take it, and he would create an environment that was – so challenging and he, he was a former football player so he brought a football component to it uh, and applied it to swimmers so that was a ton of you know at the time I, it was really really hard uh, but now I look back into it as I have really fond memories of actually going through that and it, because it was a bonding growing moment for uh, the individuals that actually survived it um, but in terms of the circuit itself yeah, yeah it was about the first six or six or so weeks of the season uh, we did it on uh, Tuesday mornings and Saturday mornings. Uh, the Tuesday morning one, you know, you kind of had to get ready and, and get people off to class. So that was typically about an hour and a half to hour and 45 minutes. But, uh, you know, you always had to show up 45 minutes early and it typically started with a big whistle blow and then you, a lot of chaos of people running in and picking a station. So there was typically about 70 to 80 stations lined up around uh, the weight room and you had to there was no you're not allowed to have any spaces between people and you could only advance um, as quickly as whoever he was choosing to to watch uh, at that particular time so once one person completed some certain level of a task then the whole group moved on to the next thing and there was days that you would get through the entire circuit and there was days that you wouldn't get through the entire circuit and you would just sometimes you'd be suffering on what was called death row and that was typical typically uh, the aerodyne bike. Uh, you had to do reverse the stair stepper. Uh, we had this thing called the UB machine. So, you know, it, if you see it in a PT office, it's, a, it's upper body aerogamer. Um, and, but he would have certain standards that he'd, you'd have to hit. It had little dials on it and he would turn the dials up and, 
it was it was just it was it was so much so intense um and, and again i keep now only think of it as fun but at the time it was it was really, really hard um i mean there was times where we had to do uh jumping jet or i'm sorry jump rope and if you didn't complete uh 60 or 90 jumps without breaking, then you couldn't move on. So you had to do all of your jumps in a row. So it was really, this is a mixture of a physical, and that physically isn't that hard, but mentally like that will, that will break you down. So if you're at jump 49 and you, you screw up, the whole group doesn't move on and you start it over. Um, so, and that was the other hard thing is, is you'd get, sometimes you'd get 40 or 50 stations in, 40 or 50 stations in through the circuit and you start the entire thing over. Some athletes aren't coordinated and some people screw it up all the time. So just call them out. Go ahead and call them out. I know that you're a head coach, a big D1 program, but be a real, real man and call out those people who screwed it up. Just say it right here. Drop it on the podcast. I, I can't. Well, everybody screwed up. I mean, and, and the, the thing is, is PK would find you and he'd find a way to make you screw up. And that was, that was kind of the fun part of it. It was, it was nobody was safe within the circuit. Uh, so... Again, that that was I think that's also where Marsh kind of got a reputation of being this this awesome sprint coach. You know, there were so many talented speedsters coming out of Auburn at that time. You know, once you guys actually got into the water, what what was a practice looking like for you? Maybe maybe just for you personally, you know, what was your training like when when you were swimming there? Well, um, you know, part of my training um I'll say this, that, you know, when I went to school was kind of the, the, the evolution. We were really moving and evolving out of traditional volume training. And so there was plenty of that when I was still there. You know, I did a 13,000 meter workout when I was at Auburn. Um, so, you know, it's not as if we didn't do the old school stuff sometimes. But we also kind of transit, you know, that, but this was also at the same time that Dave Durden came to the programs. So he brought a lot of Salo with him. Um, and, and that was a fun thing because he was coming directly from, uh, from Irvine. So that was um, a, a way in which the program has naturally evolved. Um, but for me personally, our big thing was you got to score in three events. If you're, if you're not scoring in all three of your events, then you know, you're not serving the team as well as you can because that means you're not maximizing your point total at the end of the year. So I spent a lot of time, my freshman year, I spent a lot of time actually in backstroke group uh, because it was my weak stroke. And if I wanted to ever be an NCAA scorer at 200 IM uh, or even 400 IM, I trained a little bit of 400 IM my freshman year, um, I was in the backstroke group. Um, But um, I I would consider most of my training middle distance um, I could handle a decent amount of volume. I could do a decent amount of, uh, of aerobic conditioning. And it wasn't until about my junior year that I would say that my focus transitioned more to breaststroke excellence. And in my freshman year, I did, uh, I should say my sophomore year, I did a good amount of breaststroke group, but I would say my training was still more middle distance. And then I kind of would transition uh, as the season went on. Uh, I'd do a little bit more, um, Every once in a while, I'll get put in the sprint group where my sets would decrease in volume and increase in intensity. Mark Gangloff rewriting history, claiming he did a 13,000-meter practice. I just, want to, I just want to call it out. I'm sure you did. I, I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. Because David would do that kind of stuff. He would change it up. 
he would force people into uncomfortable places. And uh, I'm glad to know that you suffered, Mark. I did. So was there, was there someone there? Maybe it was you. I, I, I'm curious. Was there someone there who would just do insane things in practice that you had never seen before? Yeah. Maggie Bowen uh, is a person that comes to mind. Yeah. Maggie was a, a phenomenal athlete. Um, you know, one day we were doing a pretty high performance set. Um, we were doing four efforts on eight minutes. Uh, I was in the hundred IM group. Um, people that did 400 IM were in the 200 IM group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these were all from a push and, and there's different points, different years. We had different standards. Um, so one of the standards that year we had was, uh, on freestyle turns, you had to take two hand hits on the way in with no breath and three hand hits on the way off the wall with no breath. So you take a breath and you have to go one, two, and then you could do your flip. And then you had to take three hand hits off the wall, one, two, three, before you could breathe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and additionally, you had to kick out past seven and a half meters, which was the, um, the 15 meter mark from the other end. Um, so, um, basically you had to ext- you couldn't just come up after the flags and, and, and not do any kick out. So we had these standards in place, uh, Maggie and the whole team had to do them no matter what, but, you know, Maggie, that, that, that particular day went two minutes, 159, 158, 158, and 200 IMs from a push. Yeah. That's forcing you again, hearing that forcing you into, to forcing you into focusing, thinking, being present always. Cause I think the difference, we all know the difference between good and great is the athletes who are thinking all the time they're always present in mind they're always engaged but wow the to think that you had to do all these you're, you're that's a lot of hurdles it's a lot of hoops you have to jump through and and, and with, with these huge efforts well it was funny because that we literally to start the practice we would have a priority list it's like you you have to do this first you have to do this next and you have to do this next and you if you skip any of the steps beforehand it doesn't matter like the the you didn't, I don't care if you go fast, if you don't do X, Y, Z. Um, and it was applied to the whole team, you know, and if anybody screwed up, the whole group started over. Wow. Uh, so, so let's, let's take it. Those were awesome anecdotes. I, I, I got my, uh, my early to mid two thousands Auburn fix. Um, let's take it to present day. You know, how, how are you implementing some of these things that you took, from Auburn um, and Mizzou into USC, UNC now? Well, I think that um, we are doing things, um, I, I, would, I, would, I would kind of focus it probably to my teaching um, and, and teaching of the strokes and teaching of the turns of, of, of what David taught us all um, and <clears throat> kind of adding my own twist and and own kind of flavor to it uh, in the way that I see it and felt it as an athlete. Uh, I think that's something that I try to speak to and I probably can speak to better than most coaches is what something feels like in the water. Um, so um, I'm, I'm always trying to make that manipulation uh, with the athletes. Like here's where you need to feel the most pressure or like understand the front part of your catch, even though you're setting it, you're not going to feel real strong out there and that's okay, but you still need to do it in order to get to a power position underneath your body. Um, so I think that uh, I'm able to speak to that. Um, but, um, you know, I think that breaking stuff down very 
small is something that I implement a lot. Having standards across the team and holding the team accountable is something that I, I, I'm bringing to the program here. Um, and, and just understanding that um, when everybody eventually gets to the point where they're all in, that's when the fun stuff really happens. And, and I'm in that process right now. And, and I would say that it is a process and we're always trying to make it a little bit better and make people a little bit more committed um, as we go through it. I've been happy with our progress so far, but I understand that there's, there's for, we can go much further too. Before we get deep into the, co- the Gengloff cosmos of, of detail and process, which is what we appreciate, and, and it's, uh, and this, the, you had this trajectory at Mizzou. Mizzou was like eye-popping with success. I think that everyone was like, wow, a lot has happened there. I've never asked anybody this, but I, from the outside looking in, it appears to me that being an elite who's won medals on, uh, at, at major events – it seems like in the coaching space, getting a head coaching position at a great D1 program seems like the same achievement. It seems like a big deal. Does it feel the same way? Does it, is, it, is it similar? Yeah, I mean, it certainly is. And, you know, there's some pretty phenomenal coaching colleagues I have here at Carolina. And I look at what they've done as, as coaches and I've, I feel the pressure. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm the freshman coming into a really successful place. And I like, if I better, I better do a good job here or else, you know, I'm not going to stick around. Um, so, but it was, it, you know, just in order to get the job, it was really difficult. You know, it's, you feel well, like you really have to put yourself out there and kind of say that I believe I can do this. And that's no easy task to, to try and say I can get, you know, 60 uh, college kids on the same page going for the same thing. And, and that's, so, yeah. No, it's, it sounds like you answered the, with an affirmative. It sounds like it's a yes. So it's, uh, it sounds like someone who had an elite career and won major international medals. It sounds like getting that head coaching position is similar. Emotional level of, of satisfaction. Uh, what's fascinating about your story is, you know, you can probably, you probably can't fathom what it's like to have an Olympics pushed or have a major event pushed, but you came into this position and you've had this year pushed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, and I, and I don't know what kind of, uh, that had to hurt. That had, how, do you, how do you, did you have that moment where you're like, wow, I, you know, maybe it was good. Maybe you're like, Hey, I get an extra year. I don't know if it's, I'm just kind of wondering where, where was, where were you at? Where was your head at when, when you, when the realization of, wow, this is my future in this position right now. Well, you know, it started in March, you know, and when we had to pull our kids out of the workout and the ACC finally made the determination that they were going to cancel sports. So I remember that moment very distinctly and having to tell and just kind of have some context there. I felt like especially my women's program, they hadn't been fully prepared yet in the season. Um, we got a good number of our people qualified in November at our meet uh, at Georgia Tech. And so there was a handful of women on my team that went, swam pretty much through ACCs, did pretty well, but they hadn't shown all their cards yet. So there's a number of people on my team where I felt like, okay, uh, here we go. We're, we're, we are now prepared and they were looking great in, in the water and all that stuff. So, you know, as a, as a first time head coach, um, one, I want it for them, but I want it to, you know, cause like, Hey, I want to prove myself. Um, but you know, I, it really comes down to, you know, you have to deliver a tough message to athletes that have 
high expectations about what they're about to go through. And to see their hurt and heartbreak from having to do that, you know, you know, it sucks. Um, it wasn't easy. And I still feel bad for those seniors that didn't get to compete at their last NCAAs. Um, and, you know, I think right now we're kind of in that same, same boat a little bit that people don't know. They don't know how to, what they're shooting for exactly. And I feel bad for them. And I'm, we're kind of walking through that conversation with our team right now is, is what does it look like to, to set a goal or expectation without a guarantee that there's going to be a championship. Um, so I think, and, and part of the reason I like coaching is because it's kind of about life um, and, and having difficult conversations and working through some uncertainties with your team. Um, and, and, and that's certainly where I think everybody across the entire country is right now. So that, you know, again, you, you took us right to present day. Um, we know, you know, UNC was one of the first universities to start classes. Obviously, as you mentioned before we started, um, you know, if you're going to be the first in this environment, you're, you're going to be the first to, to learn what, 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 just, what adjustments you have to make. Um, UNC switched to online, online, and then you just, uh, you just told me that last night, you, you, it was at UNC that, that put a pause on all sports? Uh, yeah, UNC at the athletic department, because of what's going on on campus, uh, at least for the you know, next little bit of time, <clears throat> we're going to put a pause on it and just kind of make sure that we're evaluating things right and just kind of positioning ourselves to be successful moving forward. Yeah. So, I mean, again, the, the, at, in a place of leadership, um, how are, how are you handling all, all these changes and uncertainty right now? I mean, again, it's, it's like March all over again, like you said. Well, I think the number one thing that you have to do is, is to be as clear as you can with your message and what you know, um, and to be transparent with the student athletes and say, hey, this is going on. It doesn't mean I know all the answers. It doesn't mean I know where we're leading. This is what I know in, in this moment. And then being in communication with everybody as frequently as possible as you're getting updates about the situation and that's what I remember distinctly about March last year is like I, I was calling on the phone more than I ever had been in my life and I was writing messages in our team group me uh, a lot and just kind of giving the updates as you're getting them so I think real-time communication at, from a leadership perspective is something that um, I had never done before not certainly not to this level is, is, is this kind of all right, I, I need to be on top of my game. I need to be reaching out to my administrators to make sure that the details that I'm sending out are correct. This is good. Trial by fire. Trial by fire. We've noticed a lot of people are, are, are hurting and they're making – I've seen a lot of people not at their best during this period of time, and I've seen a lot of people stand up, and it's, and it's like you can see them changing and growing and maturing. And uh, – Clearly, that's that's the path you're on. But uh, on a side note, I, I, I'm 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 opening a clinical therapy practice just for coaches. And Coleman and I will sit on the couch and we'll talk through your feelings and all your pain. I'm just kidding. That's not happening. I think we're kind of doing that now a little bit. But it's uh, it, it is every. I think I, I think the beauty of our sport is that everybody has uh, so much compassion and mirroring for what you're going through. So when you say it, it's like, whoa, your, your heart is sinking and it's tough, but I know swims resilient. 
it's uh yes so that they're going back to that that original question it's like you're you're this is you're you're experiencing this now this is historic it's like this is a unique position what i think about and when i I'm, i grew up in north carolina and i've always known that unc was a great program nothing against past coaches but i've always thought wow unc should be a powerhouse on on on, on this stage and but i've never been bullish about unc's future until you got this position buddy and I'd kind of like to hear your feelings because you have to be thinking about the future to keep your head together. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think that you've hit on something that I, I believe is true in that UNC has a ton to offer. And I think that uh, from an academic standpoint, um, you know, and, and some people in the comments section like to write about how, you know, you know we've had our ups and downs, but if you're coming to UNC, you're coming here for, for the education. And, and it, is, it is a big deal to get a UNC education. You know, I, I, I am constantly talking about that in my conversations with recruits. Um, and, and it is a pull. So, it, you know, as a coach, it, it's, it's actually something that's a great resource for me is to be able to say, hey, um, if you're going into the business school, this is, you know, this is, you're going to be set up really nicely. If you're going in the medical field, this is a perfect place for you to be. And, and to be able to paint the picture for people, um, how this uh, degree is going to set them up has been really great for me. And I think one of the things that's so appealing about, was appealing about the job, is appealing about the job, <clears throat> is that the school has these things. And it also has this legacy of excellence within the athletic department. Um, you know, Anson Dorrance has won 22 national titles with our women's soccer program. Karen Shelton has won seven or eight national titles with our uh, women's field hockey team. And I don't think they've lost a game since they built their new stadium. So it's almost a season and a half in which they haven't lost a game, you know, uh, and that's what I mean by kind of in, earlier in the conversation about the pressure uh, of, of being a coach here is it, it is. And I'm not saying it in a bad way, but, you know, though, if you're going to a head coaches meeting and you're sitting next to people like this, like you better, um, you better be on your game and, and, and kind of striving for your best. And, you know, as an athlete, that's what you want. You want to be around people that are going to stretch you. And I feel like I'm in that environment right now. But uh, to go back to the original question, you know, UNC generally has, just has a ton to offer. And so I do believe in the long-term uh, success of our program because I think that we will continue to build uh, trust uh, with coaches across the country and say, hey, your kids are going to come here. They're going to have a great experience. They're going to get a lot faster when they're here. Uh, recruiting from the state of North Carolina is awesome. You know, there's really strong swimming here. A lot of the big programs, whether it's in Raleigh or Charlotte, are, are doing amazing things with the, with the upcoming athletes. So I think that those things make for a really ripe environment for a great program. And so, so let's, let's get down. We're, we're less than seven minutes right now. Uh, I, I want to know a little, little swim nerdy. Um, you've got, you've got Michael Chadwick. You've now have Justin right there. You guys had a competition uh, where everyone swam. I, I think like the hundred I am and some fifties or hundred free. Um, it it looks fun. How do you know, Again, you're out of the water now, but you were able to get a competition in. How did you think that went, um, especially for, for those two guys, for your pros? 
You know, I think that it's fun. You know, Justin's a guy that, you know, he, he's going to get better as the race goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, his best half was an even swum uh, in his hunter butterfly. Uh, so, you know, I kind of looked to that. But, you know, for me, I'm brand new to coaching him too. So um, just kind of seeing that he has some speed and has some underwater. So what kind of my – in my conversations with him after that was over, it was like, all right, I need to see a little bit more of that in practice because I now know he got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's a little bit of exploration with Justin, you know, having worked with Michael for so, you know, it's funny because Michael was, um, he was my first recruit to the university of Missouri that I ever got first person I even called. Um, so it was, it was, it's a kind of uh, a pretty unique experience. And Michael is also from Charlotte and his dad played basketball at UNC. So there's a lot of, uh, kind of interesting ties there, but Michael I've coached for a long time. Um, and you know, I think for him, he feels like he's coming home. So I think that he's very comfortable in this space right now. And so I think that that will lead to really good stuff uh, coming on uh, in hopefully next next summer that he'll have this kind of feeling of being at home and comfortable and his family's right down the road and he's really close with his, his family. So, you know, during the weekends, he, he'll go home and, and see his folks or his, his brother or his sister and see their, uh, his nieces and nephews. So, um, I think that that bodes really well for Michael. Um, from a, kind of a, a racing perspective, Michael you know, could have had a little bit more tempo in his 50 freestyle, um, but that's indicative of the training that we're doing right now. We're, we haven't hit a bunch of speed work, so I don't expect him to be super sharp at, at the moment. So um, I think, the, again, kind of, um, and, and we're dealing with, you know, we're just kind of getting back into the university pool too. So we were, we were training kind of add in outdoor pool before, you know, we're making do with what we had and, and now we're really starting to reintegrate into um, what I think will continue to lead to more higher performance practices. Probably. Um, I think that we will get into more specific types of training uh, away from the general, away from getting in shape. Um, we can do more fun stuff like that. So um, it was really to knock the cobwebs off. And I think we did that. Well, you got any any parting thoughts for Mark? I love North Carolina, and I, and I want to press this button one more time. I I, I I I my entire development as a swimmer was in that state. I'm biased. Uh, Tar Heel was it was it's it is it is like a religion in that state, and I always wondered what would happen with the right talent and a coach married to that program, leading that program. And I remember my uh, the the excitement when I when I heard that you were getting the position. I'm like, okay, this is happening. Uh, if you're you're a recruiter, we're down to three minutes. Uh, you know, you it really does come down to to confidence from your swim parents. It's their child. They've got they've got to you got to convince them of what's what you have to offer. What's the uh, what's that what's that takeaway? What's that closing? What's that closing thought that for parents when it's like you know, or the swimmer, you need to come be a Tar Heel. Sure. Uh, a, a few things. One, um, and Mac Brown says this all the time. This isn't a four-year decision. This is a 40-year decision. And I'll go ahead and just take that from him and, and use it because I do think that that's true. I think that you come to Carolina and you're going to be setting yourself up uh, for a really bright future. Um, and more specifically for my program, if you want to get elite level, level education, 
elite level ad, uh, athletic experience and you want to see how much of you know kind of your talent and your capabilities you want to squeeze that wring that towel out uh, that's what I'm going to try and do for you here um, I really want people to come to this program for excellence um, and understand that um, as a coach, I'm going to kind of walk through any difficult times that you may be having, but, but for us, uh, we're going to try and see what we can do in, in our sport and push ourselves as hard as we can. And uh, that's, you know, kind of that's what we're selling is, is, is something that is uh, a long-term uh, vision for, for you as a personal, uh, as a person, and, and, and um, hopefully the athletic portion, you know, works out really well for you too. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.